Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Fuck my fucking cat. All right, hold please. Hey, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, fuck. I guess I am going to have to edit heavily. Fuck. Recording in progress. This is Don't Kill Your Darlings. I'm Sarah, and you are? I'm Monica. Yeah. Yeah, welcome. It's uh, it's Lucky Episode 13. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, since we pushed this episode, it's being released on the 13th as well. It's fate. <laughs> Very exciting. It's not a Friday, though, so. Oh, I love that journey for us, though. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, 13 is just lucky. I, I like the number 13. I do, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, 11 is like the luckiest of lucky numbers for me, but 13's up there, too. My favorite number is 23. Aw. Isn't that... Oh, no. I was like, isn't that Taylor Swift's favorite number? No, hers is 13. I was born on the 23rd of July, so that's why I like it. See, and I was born on the 11th of March, so... Yeah, we're vibing. (laughs) Our birthdays are special to us. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Wasn't Taylor Swift born on December 13th, too? I'm actually not sure. I'm pretty... I'm... Okay, this is, I don't know why I'm on this Taylor Swift notch right now. (laughs) You're like Taylor Swift. (laughs) Taylor's, I never thought that I would say that name this many times in a true crime podcast, though. (laughs) Hopefully she hasn't committed any true crimes. (laughs) No, 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 no. Nobody, no crime. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my, yeah, her birthday is December 13th. So all of our favorite numbers correspond to our birthdays. So um, things we have in common with Taylor Swift. Numbers. (laughs) Our favorite number is the day of our birth. Beautiful. Fair. Yes. You are all just gentle narcissists. I mean, I, I feel like I am an aggressive narcissist, but a nice one. Every time I mention that, actually, a lot of times that I mention something, people are like, yeah, you're such a Leo. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever, you're better than a Gemini. Fucking Geminis. Uh, Yeah, I, you know how I feel about Geminis. I'm I'm a Pisces, everyone. I'm March 11th, and everyone that is important in my life that i interact with on a daily basis is a gemini and it's just <laughs> it's a it's my husband my stepdaughter just like all of fucking gemini's up in this house even my dog's a fucking gemini so <laughs> sorry the only reason i said fucking gemini's is because my abusive ex is a gemini oh yeah i mean i'm not no. a huge fan of them either there's too many of them in my life fuck no nothing against your husband your stepdaughter or your dog (laughs) i have everything against all of them sometimes so it's okay (laughs) anyway moving on from that downer not the fucking point (laughs) yeah no downer let's move on um we have an update for everyone we we are going to be changing the day that we release the podcast our um our current recording schedule just isn't working with our full-time jobs and our life and just everything. And the time, the time difference in terms of time zones. Yeah. We're just, um, it was, we, it is, uh, becoming harder and harder to make Tuesday morning release days happen. And so, uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, it might not be right away. Uh, depends on how fast one of us can crank a story out. <laughs> um, but uh, in the next couple of weeks, we are going to start releasing on Sunday mornings instead. Woo-woo. Yeah, so Sunday morning vibes. Um, you can make a nice cup of coffee and put us on your Alexa and listen to us tell you about murders while you like clean your house or make breakfast or something. <laughs> or do whatever it is that you do in lieu of going to church (laughs) oh yeah i forgot people do that (laughs) 
Um, so uh, I would suggest, ooh, should they listen to us before or after church? Um, I would think before, so then they can go to confession. Yes, before church, and then you can pray for our souls while you're at church. Beautiful. There you go, mom. That's your plan. <laughs> I did confirm my mom actually does listen, so. <laughs> she does. <laughs> she sure does, yeah. Um, I, I know this because remember last episode I, or two episodes ago, I complained about Cadbury eggs not being existent in my town. Uh, I was at my mom's house last weekend. I had to, I was picking up a vehicle that I bought in Minnesota and I was at my mom's house overnight and she bought me Cadbury cream eggs. Aww. A whole bunch of them. And she was like, Monica, I listen to your podcast. <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry for all the shit I said. <laughs> Mom literally texted me today. Was was there a podcast that I missed today? Because I, I just need to know. I didn't want to miss it. Oh, Angela Pinkerton. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, hi, Angel and Laura. We love you. Thanks for creating us. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So anyway, um, that's the schedule change, and we hope that this works better for us and better for you, uh -huh. listeners. Uh, we want we want to keep you guys happy, and um, having to release episodes late makes no one happy. So here okay. we are. Yep. Yeah, Sunday Sunday morning vibes, courtesy mm. of Don't Kill Your Darlings. We're going to start doing that. I don't know if we'll have time to do that quick turnaround this week, but uh, it's either going to be next week or the week after that we switch to Sunday releases. So, oh, mom, sorry I called you Angela, but that is what you are listed on on Instagram. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice you said that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, uh, so our scheduling system will change. Yes, everyone will be happy, mm -hmm. including the both of us. Yes. Because it is stressful when we have to postpone a day and we f I, I personally feel really bad about it. So anyway, Sundays, whoop, whoop, your holy day of obligation. We got you. We got you covered. Remember, mm -hmm. before church, not after. Yeah, because then you can go to confession. Yeah, and pray for our souls specifically. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think the listeners have to confess. I think that they just need to pray for our souls. So point. Yeah. So, all right. We ready to get into the case? Let's dive in. Chosen. Okay. You don't even know what this is. I do not. <laughs> because life was so hectic this weekend that I didn't even um, choose it until like two days ago. So, um, yeah, here we are. Um, uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, this is a case from Spain. Oh, uh, I speak a little bit of Spanish, so I'm going to try my best with the pronunciations. Um, I think I got them pretty good, but I am really sorry in advance if my accent is terrible when I'm trying to pronounce these names. Spanish in Spain can be different depending on, you know, all these kinds of things. So, yeah, I'm just apologizing in advance in the event I sound like a jackass. I don't think I will. I just I haven't spoken Spanish in a while. So, but I also don't want to sound like a fucking stupid American and pronounce the double L like L. So won't be doing that. So I'm going to um, do it in a weird Spanish accent. So well, but maybe it's not weird. Maybe it's normal. Maybe I have like a bomb ass Spanish accent. Who knows? <laughs> Who's to say? Except for someone from Spain. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Yeah. My accent used to be good, but now who knows? It's been a couple of years since three years now since I've been speaking Spanish on the rig. So, um, so anyway, today I'm going to be telling the story of 17 year old Marta del Castillo Casanueva. This one's a roller coaster. So, uh, buckle on up. Okay. Buckle in. Buckle in. Okay. So my main source on this entire thing is a Netflix documentary called where is Marta? It's a Spanish documentary, so if you don't speak Spanish, subtitles are 100% necessary. Uh, I thought it was like a really well-made documentary. It really like kept you involved and like interested in what was happening next, and it covered a lot of different angles. Uh, they interview like Marta's entire family and some of her friends, and they also interview Francisco Javier, who you will learn later is one of the main characters in this. 
little terrible thing that's about to happen. This terrible, horrifying story that I'm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, this is going to be a good uh, summary of the Netflix documentary. If uh, you don't want to, if you don't like subtitles, I got you covered. So, <laughs> all right, uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna dive dive right in. We are going to go right to the day of Marta's disappearance. Uh, the date is uh, Saturday, January twenty fourth, two thousand nine. Oh. So it's relatively recent. It's relatively recent. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, we are in Sevilla, the capital of Spain. If you don't recognize that, uh, us filthy Americans usually pronounce it as Seville. No, it's Sevilla. It's Sevilla. Yeah, but even I know. know I don't even. I'm not great at Spanish. I took Italian, but <laughs> but yeah. Sevilla. Yeah, but I mean, like, I when I grew up, everyone called it Seville, Spain. So, but I'm gonna pronounce it the correct way. It's Sevilla. Okay. So Marta, again, 17 years old, she woke up in the morning and went about her day as usual. Her mom made her breakfast. She helped her mom change the bed sheets, and she discussed her plans for the day with her mom. She was a normal kid, nothing odd about her. She was like just a good kid. She had a lot of friends. She was invited a lot of places. Like she had several options of like what to do that day like a bunch of like different friends had her invited her to do stuff and she like was discussing with her mom which one she should do like which friends she should hang out with um so she was like really close to her family and she always kept them up to date on her plans and she called them frequently when she went out so uh much more responsible than i was at 17 that is for sure well i was a goddamn nightmare at 17. <laughs> oh i mean i'm not gonna say i was a saint by by any means like you know there were times when my mother did not know where i was i mean i was usually like down the street or something but you know whatever yeah i i didn't drink until i was older than that but i was still an annoying person at 17. (laughs) (laughs) yes i also i i was a i was a good kid tm so Marta had an ex-boyfriend. His name was Miguel Carcano Delgado. She had met him the year before, and uh, Miguel's niece went to the same school as Marta, and that's how they initially got together. They weren't officially together for very long, only about a month and a half Marta actually broke it off with him because she said that he was a very jealous boyfriend. He would always ask her where she was, who she was with, but like in a really accusatory way, not in like a, hey, what are you doing way, you know? So uh, although Marta loved him, she decided that she could not deal with his jealousy and they broke up. However, they remained in contact after the breakup, which is never a good idea. Like, once you break up with something, just be done. I mean, that's my humble opinion, but, you know, peace. So Marta's family did not like Miguel very much. Uh, her mother actually said that he showed signs of, uh, like, being a domestic abuser. Um, uh, I think? Yeah. And um, he had a motorcycle, and they didn't like that he had a motorcycle either because those are death traps obviously death trap is a suicide rap (laughs) (laughs) what my grandma calls them murder cycles (laughs) clever clever but like it's spain doesn't everyone have a fucking motorcycle or a bicycle like it's europe isn't that normal over there um i mean or like a vespa or something Yeah, yeah like it's more common than someone having a car isn't it in europe i don't know so Anyway, moving on, I'm a stupid American. I don't know how it, <laughs> how it works over there. But okay, back to January 24th, 2009. Miguel shows up at the door of Marta's house and Marta went downstairs to talk to him. She told her mom that she had to go talk to him to clear some things up and that she was going out with friends. And that was the last time her mother ever saw her. Oh no. Yes. So this, this was at five, around 5 p.m. 
that she went down to have this chat and then go out with her friends. So, as I mentioned before, Marta was very close to her family, and when she went out, she always gave them updates about where she was, but after a few hours on this evening, no one had heard from her. Her family called her cell phone a lot, and she never answered. So after she didn't answer, Marta's family did literally everything they could think of to try to locate her because this super was not normal for her to not update her family and not contact them. So immediately, this is like the same night, just a few hours later, they called all of her friends. They even called the hospital to see if maybe she had been in a motorcycle accident, uh, but they didn't have any luck. The family members did not have Miguel's cell phone number, but they were trying to get it from friends. They were like working on it because they only dated for like a month and a half. Anyway, um, even though they didn't have his phone number, they knew where he lived. So Miguel owned an apartment with his brother, Francisco Javier. So members of Martha's family went to uh, Miguel and Francisco Javier's house to see if there was a light on. When they arrived, all of the lights in the apartment were out, uh, but they banged on the windows to try to wake anyone up that might be there, but there was no answer. So they're panicking. After a few hours, Marta's mother manages to get Miguel's phone number from one a friend of a friend or whatever. So Marta's mom called Miguel, but all he said was, I left her by the glass shop at around 12. I'm not with her. And the glass shop that he was talking about was, like, basically right next to her house. So, like, he was like, I dropped her off basically at home at the glass shop. Okay. So, now that they know that Miguel dropped her at the glass shop, it's 12, her entire family, and that's midnight. Like, they're doing this, like, 1, 2 in the morning. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the entire family and some of her friends took to the streets, like, of Sevilla looking for her. You know, this is the largest city in Spain, but they're they're driving around the city, yelling Marta's name out of car windows. They're looking everywhere for her. Oh goodness! Yeah, they they knew something was up right away. They even they filed a missing persons report at around two a.m. that night. However, the police were not mobilized. Oh, that's so disappointing. I know, because she went. She's only been missing for less than twelve hours, but. You know, it's just disappointing because the family like knew, like they knew that something was wrong, like right away, and they tried to do something about it right away. But she's a seventeen-year-old in the in the biggest city in Spain, and the police just assumed she was out doing some teenage mischief or sleeping over at a friend's house without informing her family or something along those lines. Even though that really wasn't normal for her. That's so disappointing about the law enforcement i know yeah mm-hmm. which i mean it's a feeling that we're very familiar with after we have mentioned it more than once <laughs> yeah i want to say almost like every story we're like fucking cops not doing the right thing but so at around 4 a.m like they're they're looking someone in the search party i i want to say it was a family member but i don't remember exactly who uh They went back to the area by Miguel's house just to see, and they noticed that his motorcycle was back at his house now. It wasn't there before. So they banged on the door, and both Miguel and his brother, Francisco Javier, were there at the time. So the family member went into the apartment and questioned Miguel and his brother. They gave the exact same story that they gave earlier, that Miguel had dropped her off at the glass shop around midnight. But the family member that had entered the apartment noticed that that the entire house reeked of bleach and they didn't get a good feeling about the exchange i was just gonna say if there are two people who have the same alibi sometimes there's something off and then bleach does not add a good a good thing upon that no it's not it's not sounding very good at this time i doubt i mean it's the family members were there at 1 a.m ish you know somewhere around there and then they went back at 4 a.m and they're the miguel and his brother are back and it smells like bleach so they decided to do some deep cleaning at 3 a.m you know as one does no people do not do that 
Not once in my life have I ever decided to bleach my kitchen floors at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, I, I bleach my kitchen floor at like, you know, in between sessions at work. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, I I clean on I Sunday know. mornings. I, I or like I Swiffer. Like, yeah. Who the fuck does that? Uh. Serial killers. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll just, I'll just let that one dangle for a little bit. So <laughs> does it get worse? I mean, yes. Yes is the answer. So still feeling suspicious of Miguel, the next day Marta's uncle went back to Miguel's home. This mm-hmm. time Miguel was not there, but his brother Francisco Javier was there. So Marta's uncle spoke with Miguel's brother again. And, of course, maintained his brother had left her at the glass shop and hadn't seen her since. But this time, Marta's uncle noticed that there was a wheelchair outside of the home, and he reported the change to police, believing it to be evidence. What the ever-loving fuck. Yep. So, that's been reported to police. Um, By this point, three reports have actually been filed. Um, I'm not sure exactly when the second one was in there, but sometime over the night, a second report was filed. So this wheelchair report was the third. Uh, The police still weren't looking for her yet. So the family was posting on social media to try to get the word out uh, about Marta's disappearance. And like a grassroots search party was forming and like going on throughout the city. Like it was huge. Like all of the high school kids were going out and, you know, friends of friends of friends were going out to try to find her and like combing the city. So at 7 p.m., a police officer finally shows up. Yeah, the last time she was seen was 5 p.m. the day prior. So he shows up, this police officer shows up. Uh, the, the disappearance wasn't reported for a few hours, so it was 17 hours after the initial disappearance was reported. So This police officer, he knocks on Miguel's door and his brothers, so Francisco Javier, his girlfriend, um, her name is Maria Garcia Mendaro, she answers the door this time. Mm -hmm. So she says there's no one in the house right now, but that she was at the home all night studying. Of course she was. Yeah. She said that Martha was never there that evening at all, and she allowed the police to inspect the property. The police noted that the home had definitely been cleaned recently, and the officer thought it was odd, but there was nothing else that implied that anything sinister had happened there. So he filed his report with the police department and left. I would say a strong smell of bleach implies that something sinister happened, but... Deeply so. I mean, I don't care for the smell of bleach on a good day. No. Yeah. So... No. Yeah, so police noted apartment had been cleaned. The wheelchair was seized by the police for analysis. By this point, the police are honing in on Miguel. He's definitely like suspect numero uno here. There's, yeah. So a week later, uh, the police seized Francisco Javier, again, Miguel's brother, They seized his vehicle to see if there was any evidence that Marta had been in the vehicle. They also searched the entire apartment again, but found no additional evidence that anything was amiss in there. On February 5th, the police called Miguel in for questioning. They interrogated him for hours, but they came up with nothing and had to release him. And this is when Miguel lawyers up. Jesus. Yeah. Oh yeah, Spanish. Hey. So it wasn't long before Martha's disappearance was making national news. There were press conferences and everyone was out looking for her. Um, As always, fake calls started coming in, claiming to know where her body was or claiming they had seen her alive recently. Police were taking every scrap of intel that they could they were searching bodies of water anywhere that someone could hide a body but they were coming up empty after a month they had no answers so 
this is kind of a side note, but the news stations were trying to find answers as well. Like it was a huge story and all the news stations wanted to like get the lead that would find Martha. So they started like following around her friends and trying to interview them and like creating fake social media accounts to try to talk to these minors without proper permissions was a uh, pretty fucked up. That seems very illegal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So, I mean, it just, that was just, they mentioned that in the documentary and I was like, well, that's fucked. That is fucked. Yeah. So the police eventually were able to seize the clothing that Miguel was wearing on the evening of Martha's disappearance. Mm-hmm. And on February 13th, so like a little less than a month after she went, after she disappeared, on February 13th, 2009, it was confirmed that Marta's blood was on his jacket. Kind of figured. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Kind of figured. Yeah. So because of this, the police came to the conclusion that Marta had been murdered. With this huge break in the case, the police arrested Miguel on February 16th. And when faced with the evidence that the police had, he uh, sang like a bird and admitted to killing her. Miguel said that Marta had come over to his house and they had uh, gotten, gotten into an argument. And in the heat of the moment, he hit her in the head with the ashtray in his bedroom. He said that she fell to the ground and he got scared when he realized that she wasn't breathing and there wasn't a heartbeat. And he he was panicking it was just one blow to the head with the ashtray miguel's new girlfriend like his girlfriend at the time collaborated the story later and said that this is the story that miguel told her the night that it happened so miguel again panicking he calls up his friend samuel benitez perez to help dispose of the body yes yes miguel stated that they transported Martha's body on his motorcycle. How did two people transport a dead body on a motorcycle is hmm. one thing I want to know. Well, I have an answer for you, as it oh, turns okay. out. I'm okay. ready. Yeah. Miguel was driving. Martha's dead body was behind him. And Samuel was on the back of the motorcycle, sandwiching Martha between them to keep her upright on the motorcycle. That's horrifying. I know, and on, uh, I mean, it's a ridiculous story. That didn't, there's no way that happened. I mean, they're going, they're in the, they're in Sevilla, Spain, on a Saturday night at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, like the prime time for partying in downtown Sevilla. And they're saying that they transported a dead body three up on a, on a motorcycle. Can I say something really dark for a second? Yes. Did people think that perhaps she was intoxicated? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. At the at the end of at the end of the day, it is unlikely that this version of the story happened. So yeah. but yeah, there that is a possibility. I mean, two up on a motorcycle isn't really comfortable. So three up, I mean, it just had I me mean, how was how was Samuel's butt even on the motorcycle, you know? So I mean, I yeah, I'm I, Maybe perhaps people were presuming like, all righty, they're, they're just taking someone home. <laughs> yeah. Oh, NBD. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a big deal. She's dead. <laughs> exactly. So Miguel said that, that that's how they transported her. And then they dumped her body in the Guadalquivir. I really don't know if I, that one's a rough pronunciation for me, but it's, it's a river about four kilometers away from his home. Mm-hmm. So after Miguel's confession, his friend Samuel was immediately arrested, of course, for his involvement. So now that the police had this information from Miguel, they went to search the river to try to find the body, but they were having a really hard time. The water in this river is super murky. Like it's muddy, like you put your arm in the river and you can't even see your hand, you know? So police were coming up with nothing. They even, the police even tried throwing dead pigs that were the same weight as Marta into the water with GPS attached to them from the place that Miguel said 
that he threw the body in, but all of the pigs floated to the surface and they were found on shore sort on shore shortly after entering the water in a in a short like they threw three pigs in and they were all found in the same like general area so it was obvious that like they they just couldn't find anything that is a lot of pigs i know i don't know what it, all my stories have like a lot of most of my stories have pig <laughs> mentions in them i don't know <laughs> i just thinking of the yeah i was just thinking of the, <sighs> the pigs are back <gasps> and uh, the police had helicopters they had cadaver dogs the, they had everything the military even came out to help the local police force search like they did everything they could but they still came up with nothing goodness gracious then miguel changed his statement about a month later in mid-march because of course he did of course he did he said there was a third person that was present at the murder of Martha and that this third person's vehicle was used to dispose of the body. With this new information, police arrested this third person, a 15-year-old boy named Francisco Javier Garcia. So another Francisco Javier, but this one, he went by his nickname, El Cuco. Mm-hmm. Uh, since he has the exact same name as Miguel's brother, I will be calling him Cuco for the rest of the story. Let's call him Cuco. It's just easier that way. Uh, I did try to figure out what El Cuco meant because it's not a, a word I'm familiar with in Spanish. But a lot of different stuff come up came up. Uh, it could mean cuckoo, like like a cuckoo clock, like like cuckoo. A bird? Yes. Or it could mean coconut. Or it could also be a mythological monster who eats small children. I am not sure which one of these meanings is the origin of the name for this particular individual. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but those are, those are the options. So keep those in mind, I guess. <laughs> mm. Okay. Let, let me put it this way. I have a client who uh, goes with the nickname El Chapo. I was like, I don't well, think you're, you're Chapo, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe like, don't let people pick their own nicknames. Perhaps there's a good, good rule of thumb. Just wait till someone comes up with one for you. If you're thinking about it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, um, after this new statement from Miguel, like I said, uh, Cuco is arrested. And again, this kid is 15 and he is not very smart think he has like the same number of brain cells as um a bowl of oatmeal for example um I, I can't think of anything more bland than that but you know not 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 a smart person uh while he is in police custody Cuco calls his mom as a 15 year old boy would do when you know he gets arrested I mean that's what I would do if I were 15 and arrested so yeah that's where the similarities end because during this phone call he asked his mom if she had thrown out all of the knives in the house like they had talked about okay <laughs> while is- in police custody he's he's at the police station and they his record, mom they record those conversations <laughs> what well, now you have more in common with the mom because the mom was like um we shouldn't talk about that on the phone because the line is tapped and little Cuco, he's like, oh, why didn't you tell me that at the beginning? Like he was mad at his mom for not explaining that the phone line in the police station is tapped. Genius, I tell you. So uh, the police went and seized all of the knives in Cuco's house for analysis. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and... nothing came of that seizure. Really? Really. He just... I, I don't know if there was any sort of connection that they missed, but that nothing came of it. So next, it's little Cuco's time to give his statement to police now that he's arrested. I'm guessing it's suspicious. <laughs> yeah. So he said that he went over to Miguel's house just to hang out. And when he arrived, 
he saw Marta's dead body inside the home on the floor. So he's saying she was already dead when he got there. Cuco also said that Miguel's brother, Francisco Javier, was present at the murder as well. So then the police went and arrested Francisco Javier, too. So, in case you've lost track, at this point, the police have arrested Miguel, Samuel, Cuco, and Francisco Javier. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So, now, Francisco Javier, again, Miguel's brother, gets to give his statement. He's, he says that he was not home at all that evening. He said that he, he's, and he's older. Uh, he said he went to go see his ex-wife and their daughter that evening at around 11 p.m. And then he went to work at a bar that he owned. Oh, no, no. He was at his ex-wife's house until 11. He was there earlier at like nine or something. And then he left her house at 11 p.m. And then he went to work at a bar that he owned until 3 a.m. And then he stopped and had a drink at another bar on his way home from work. He said he did not get back to his apartment until 4 a.m. He said that his girlfriend was there and let him in. He went to bed and that was it. Okay, so now we have everyone's statements. Mm -hmm. So Miguel decides to change his statement again at this time. Mm -hmm. Fun twist. Uh, actually, not so fun twist and uh, trigger warning. Um, uh, uh, sexual assault. Uh, if you don't like to hear about that, maybe fast forward like 30 seconds or so. So this time Miguel says that Cuco was the one that actually murdered Marta. Miguel said that Marta was at home, at his home, in his room. He said that Cuco came in, again, 15 year old kid, and held a knife to her throat and took off her pants and her underwear while holding the knife to her throat while she's sitting on a bed and he said that Cuco raped her. After that, uh, Miguel said that Cuco forced her to the ground, taped her hands behind her back and strangled her with an extension cord. Then they grabbed a blood pressure monitor from another room and confirmed that she was dead. God. Oh my God. I really hope that didn't happen. And you'll, you'll, I skeptical, I'm skeptical. Um, but you'll see why in a little bit. Um, oh my God, even as a notion. Even, I know. Yeah. So the next day, literally the next day, Miguel changed his statement again okay. and confessed to participating in the rape of Martha with Cuco. In this new statement, he also changes the disposal place of the body. This time, he says that he and Cuco put her body into garbage bags and disposed of her in a dumpster about 100 yards away from the apartment. So Samuel isn't even in this story at all. I mean, he's just, they, they're just, Miguel's a dickwad, and he is throwing off the police search all over the place and just changing his story all the time. This is like, what was this, round four of him changing his story? Yeah, round four, maybe five. Five? It might be five because, in, yeah, anyway, <laughs> I lost track. Seems like a douche canoe. Yeah, big. Oh, and he looks like one too. So then police started searching the landfill because they got this new tip that the body was in the dumpsters. So this is a little less than two months after her disappearance. But the police went to the landfill anyway to try to find her body. They searched through thousands and thousands of pounds of garbage to try to come up with something. I think it was like 60,000 tons or pounds or I don't even know. It's a large amount of garbage. And like, I used to work for a trash company and like they do record like which garbage trucks dump in which area of the landfill on a daily basis. Like it's all recorded for circumstances such as this. Um, unfortunately, they came up with nothing at the landfill. They also tested the dumpsters for evidence of human decomp or DNA, and they came up with nothing in the dumpsters either. Oh, wow. Okay. So the police were obviously getting pretty tired of Miguel's shit by this point. Uh, apparently, so this is why I don't necessarily believe that it happened. So the police believed that Miguel cooked up the sexual assault story 
in order to get a different type of trial. So apparently in cases of sexual assault in Spain at the time, those cases were decided by a judge only. There wasn't a jury involved. So like maybe more like a plea deal? No, um, no, the, if there was a sexual assault involved, they call it like a bench trial and there's only a judge involved. Oh, there is no jury involved. I did not know that. Yes. Sorry, I'm um, a white girl from America. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I didn't, I guess it's, uh, yeah, anyway. So that's why they think that they're at, that he added this disgusting storyline to it to try to get himself it's very disgusting yeah yeah to try to get his his um sentencing done by just a judge not a jury gross because the public is very invested at this time and a jury probably wouldn't go very well for him i wouldn't think so so this brings us to april 14th 2009 Remember the girlfriend of Miguel's brother that said she was in the house the entire night? So Maria Garcia Mendoza, well, she gets arrested too. Because according to all of these stories, if she was at the house all night, then she would have been there when the murder was taking place. According to all of the statements from all of the dickhead boys, they all said it happened at the house that night. None of them mentioned her name. None of them mentioned that she was there. But she said she was there, and all of them said that the murder happened at the house. False alibi. (laughs) Yeah. So either Maria is lying about her involvement, and the boys are protecting her by not mentioning her name, or she's lying about the fact that she was at the house all night. Either way, not great. Doesn't seem so. No, not particularly. So, on to the trials. All right. So first off, there's the juvenile trial because Kugo is 15 and he is tried separately from the adults because of his age. So we're going to rewind a little bit to March 24th, 2011 for the conviction in Kugo's trial. Mm -hmm. Um, He was found guilty of concealment, but not murder or rape. Oh, concealment of a crime. Sorry, Mm -hmm. but not murder or rape. So he was sentenced to three years in a juvenile detention center and one month of supervised freedom. And that is all. Supervised freedom meaning what? Like probation, I'm guessing. That's just what that's just what they called it in the articles that I read and whatever. Uh, this created some tricky issues because the adults hadn't been tried yet. Mm. So Kuko was convicted of concealing a crime that the main perpetrators hadn't even been found guilty of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like the like the heaviest part of Kuko's trial was Miguel did this. But Miguel hadn't been found guilty. But Kuko was found guilty of concealment, but not it, it's it was just tricky. Because the adult trial hadn't happened yet. Okay. So that's, that's Kuko's, um, that's his final verdict. He was sentenced to three years in a juvenile detention center in one month of essentially probation. And that's all. So the trial for the four adults that are remaining began on April 12th, 2010. Are you ready for another Miguel story change? Um, I'm preparing myself, so maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not surprising. So, um, so Miguel's official sworn court testimony was this. He said that Martha came over to his house that night. She wanted him to leave his girlfriend and get back together with her. And they were arguing passionately over that. Then Miguel hit her with the ashtray. Then, so we're back to that. He then said that Kuko happened to show up at the house soon afterwards. He said that Kuko used a payphone to call Samuel, who came in a vehicle. Miguel said that they pushed her body out of the apartment in a wheelchair and then put her in the vehicle. 
Okay. Miguel said that Cuco and Samuel then left to dispose of the body while Miguel stayed and cleaned the house. With the bleach. Yes. So Miguel said that Cuco implicated his brother, who remember Cuco was the one that said that um, Francisco Javier was there and no one else did. Mm -hmm. So Miguel's statement was that Cuco implicated his brother, who wasn't involved. So Miguel made up the rape story implicating Cuco to get back at him. Very mature. Yeah. So fucking ridiculous. Uh, Miguel testified that he does not know where the body is because he did not dispose of it. According to this last story, Cuco and Samuel were the ones that disposed of the body and he stayed and cleaned up. Oof. It's kind of like a, like a mesh of all of the stories put together. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like a mishmash. Yeah. So, next comes Samuel's testimony. Oh, it gets worse? It's Oh, yeah, there's several more testimonies to go. <laughs> this is just like a big, like, game of, like, he said, she said. Like, there's literally no physical evidence at all. There's nothing. There's literally nothing. All they have are these, these teenagers fucking talking shit about each other. Like... It's wild. So Samuel's up next. Samuel mm-hmm. says that everything Miguel said was a lie. Huh. huh. Samuel yeah. said that he was abused and forced to give a false statement while in police custody at his initial arrest. Samuel testified that he did not receive any calls the night of Marta's disappearance. But the phone records do show that a call was made to him from the apartment. Mm-hmm. But he said he never, like, received it. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. He said he did receive a call from Cuco, but he said Cuco just told him that he was drinking and just wanted to hang out with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he said there was nothing, like, he didn't go over there or whatever. Uh, he testified that he has absolutely no idea where Marta's body is because he wasn't involved at all. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't. Yep. So, next up... <laughs> We have Maria, who is Francisco Javier's girlfriend. She said that she she maintains that she was at that home that whole night. She said that she didn't hear any of the family members knocking on the windows of the apartment the evening of Marta's disappearance. Because remember, they went to go look and they were knocking on the windows because all the lights were out. She said she didn't hear that knocking at all, but that she was at the house all evening. No one else was there and she didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. so we're just like all over the fucking place at this point it seems all all over the map yeah Yeah, it's (laughs) so ridiculous i don't even understand how this shit like even went to trial because there's it's literally all hearsay like it's all just these teenagers telling on each other literally hearsay yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 wild so Mm -hmm. next up we have francisco javier he said that he let Maria, his girlfriend, the one who just testified and said she was at the house all night. So Francisco Javier let her study in the house that evening because he had spoken to Michael, who said that he would not be in the house long that evening. He, okay. Francisco Javier said he talk, talked to Miguel at 8.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. And Miguel left shortly afterwards. And okay. Francisco Javier then left and took a bus to his ex-wife's home to see his daughter um he said maria went over to the house to study she had her own key just for that night um francisco javier said that he was at his ex-wife's house for a couple hours and then went to work as a bartender and then after work went to another bar as a patron until 4 a.m he sticks with the whole story the entire time okay yep so that's that's what he says again and then fucking el cuco shows back up to testify in this trial of course of course he does um and he's a fucking weirdo uh Mm. he showed up to court wearing like a long red wig he was like wearing a wig why like i what i initially thought like in sunglasses i initially thought he was like i i initially thought that it was because he had to go through all of these crowds to get Mm. into the courthouse and he didn't want to be recognized Mm-hmm. which would make sense i get putting on a long like wig and sunglasses and like i think he even was wearing a mask like just to get into the courthouse 
It seems very unusual. Yeah, but uh, he didn't take the wig off when he testified. Oh. So um, perhaps it wasn't just a disguise to get into the courthouse without being noticed? Hmm. I'm not sure. Anyway, he he said that he didn't he, see anything at all that evening. He said all of it's a lie. He wasn't there and that he was pressured by police to give a false statement and that he has no idea where Martha's body is. He was just like, he just says literally nothing happened and he wasn't there. And the police forced him to give a false statement because they were under pressure from the public to solve this and no idea where Martha's body is. So, uh, the sentencing, you ready? I'm not sure, but you're going to be mad. Yeah. You're going to be mad. I'm going to be mad. Yeah. Yeah. So again, just going to remind everyone, they still don't have Martha's actual body. There is no physical evidence here. Um, and we, me and you have discussed on this podcast before that it's difficult to have a trial for murder without an actual body that proves that the person was even murdered at all. Yep. So all they're doing is going on the statements from these very fucked up teenagers. So Miguel was the only one convicted in the trials. He was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 20 years in prison. Samuel Maria and Francisco Javier were all acquitted. They're acquitted? Yeah, like nothing. They're not guilty of all charges. All three of them. Miguel was the only one that was found guilty of murder. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I think those three should have been like convicted of like, like the same thing that Kuka was like concealment or like misleading police. Yeah. But maybe the fact that, that they all said it was the police's fault and that they were all forced to give false statements. Maybe that's why they didn't. Or maybe they were and I just missed it. But I know that they didn't serve any time. <laughs> yeah. Like concealment of a crime. Yeah. So then after the conviction, Miguel changes his testimony again. Sarah looks so mad right now. She's like taking off her glasses. <laughs> has her hand on her face. <laughs> you guys can't see that, but she's clearly frustrated. So uh, Miguel says after he's already found guilty, he says that he got into a fight with his brother, Francisco Javier, about paying rent or about paying the mortgage on the apartment. He said that Martha was there in the house and tried to get in between them to stop, get them to keep them from fighting. Miguel said that his brother Francisco Javier pistol whipped Marta several times in the head and killed her. Pistol? Yes. Like he had a pistol and he fucking hit her in the face a bunch and killed her that way. Then Miguel said that they went to Francisco Javier's ex-wife's home to get her vehicle and drove it back. They used the wheelchair to move the body into that vehicle and francisco javier drove the body while miguel followed on the motorcycle and they disposed of the body together in a farm field uh the police didn't give a fuck and they didn't believe him so the change I test- believe that. <laughs> yeah so the change <laughs> testimony had absolutely no bearing on his sentence or the jury's decision i would not fucking believe that yeah uh martha's body has never been recovered there still is no body uh, miguel is in prison for 20 years and everyone else uh, el cuco was on probation or whatever and um everyone else is living their lives Poor martha i know and that is my depressing story of the disappearance and assumed murder of martha del castillo casanueva Sorry. Yeah. I'm going with murder because it seems like murder. But there's literally nothing except for her blood on a, on his jacket. That's the only physical evidence they had the whole time. Seems like murder, though. It does feel murdery. Yeah, it seems um, a, a little murdery. Like, medium murdery? Can we do, like, a medium murder? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. Yeah, like, uh, a, like a medium murder. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and say that 
<laughs> none of these stories are true is my belief literally none of them but it does seem like she was sort of murdered yeah so my theory is the only no even those don't make sense i was like the ones that make like even a little bit of sense are francisco javier and uh, maria's story that she was in the apartment all night but then she didn't maybe she's like a heavy sleeper but like the the other boys none of their stories i believe at all i maybe they killed her somewhere else like i just don't i don't know and they were saying it happened in the apartment to like throw off the track of where it actually happened i don't know none of the stories really make sense honestly no miguel's least of all because he had like eight seven eight different stories <laughs> yeah mm. throughout the whole thing so like i said francisco javier's was pretty he never changed at all and neither did his girlfriend maria so that's why i was like maybe theirs have a chance to be true and that just means that samuel miguel and cuco killed her but somewhere else and like maybe they're like trying to like obviously they're trying to throw the police off their tracks because they had like 30 different stories between the three of them so which is too many stories <laughs> as oh, far yeah. as I'm concerned oh yeah and they're all throwing each other under the bus like fuck yeah. dude like and then and then they all like got acquitted and it's like hopefully they're not still fucking friends <laughs> like i just i wouldn't think so yeah i would hope not like yep. jesus anyway but i i'm not sure i for all i know francisco javier and maria are fucking liars too so i don't know mm. yeah heckin yikes yep sorry yeah for the oh my god i forgot to look up a fun fact um um I have a different fun fact my brain is literally empty right now i can't even think of a single fun fact what kind of fun fact would you like to be Ooh wooed with um let's do an animal fun fact um okie doke let's do some googling should i do like a specific animal i was thinking of giraffes Ooh, giraffe yes find a giraffe fun fact let's bring the vibe back up make sure it's a fun fun fact not a sad depressing fact <laughs> the whole point is to lift people up get them ready for church <laughs> some facts about giraffes just one pick the like the one best fact about giraffes um they can run as fast as 35 miles an hour oh how fast can a cheetah run okay now we're into like safari wildlife <laughs> does that mean they're like the second hold on how fast does a cheetah cheetah go oh cheetahs are 50 to 80 so cheetahs are much faster and can kill giraffes Okay, fun fact. Giraffes can run at 35 miles an hour. Please don't kill giraffes. I said the cheetahs are. Isn't that what they do? They both live in the same ecosystem, don't they? Yes, they do. Okay. Um, I have one more. Okay. Giraffes only need to drink once every day. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Well, it's such a process. <laughs> yeah. Because of all the neck. <laughs> yeah, because of the neck. Yeah, they got to they gotta really get down there. So that makes sense. I would only want to do that once a day if I had to fucking put my face between my feet to drink water. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And uh, this episode of Don't Kill Your Darlings uh, is sponsored by the animal giraffe. Yeah, the animal giraffe. And last week was the color red. <laughs> yeah exactly we're just gonna keep it going so yeah. mm-hmm. all right uh you guys can find us on instagram at dkyd podcast you can also email us story ideas and tell us fun fact Ooh, like fun fact um like uh oh my god suggestions that's the word i'm going for and um compliments of course at dkyd podcast at gmail.com and that's it. Yeah. So love you and thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you guys so much. We love you. Um, sorry about the late episode, but it's not because we don't love you. It's just because adulting is difficult. So adulting is very difficult. Yes. Yes. 
kind of difficult schedules. So, yes. And hopefully this, uh, this uh, new schedule with releasing on Sundays is going to make it easier on uh, everyone and we won't have to postpone it all the time. So, all right, cool. Uh, we're out of here. Uh, stay fresh. Cheese bags. Whoop, whoop. Bye. I'm Sarah and she's Monica. Oh yeah. I'm Monica. <laughs> whoop, whoop. All right. Now. Bye. Bye.